Hi, everyone, and welcome again to another one of my Gaudi Mitzpah's 22 podcast YouTube videos. Uh, once again, I apologize that I haven't had too many of these lately. Been one really busy summer and spring and fall of speaking engagements and various other things. I, I went to Minnesota for a Word on Fire conference uh, that was just simply fantastic. I went on some more trips after that. Uh, but I'm back home now for many months. So I'm really going to I'm and we're getting a major upgrade in our Internet uh, next week to super high fast Internet. So I'm looking forward to doing more and more of these kinds of things. I would upgrade my camera and all that sort of thing, too. I have a pretty good microphone, but I would upgrade my camera if I had fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> Those things yeah, it's, are it's not cheap. It, it's not no, cheap. It's not cheap. It is not cheap. I mean, so I'm going with the one here on my iMac for now. We'll just see what happens down the road. Uh, but anyway, I'm joined once again today by my my good friend, uh, Kale Zeldin, who I've never met in person, but someday I will. Uh, Kale teaches English at the uh, at a prep school in Connecticut, Portsmouth Abbey no, Prep. Rhode Island. Sorry, Rhode Island. Oh, excuse me. Rhode yeah. Island. That's the right. small Portsmouth. little one. The small Portsmouth. little one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've got I've so many friends in Connecticut. I just automatically right. assume everybody who I know who lives in New England is That's in right. Connecticut. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Portsmouth. It's in Rhode Island. My wife got her master's degree in theology from Providence. Oh, yeah, of course. College yeah, right there in, yeah, in, in Rhode Island. So uh, and I, I'm going to actually giving a paper there uh, at some point next year, April or something or other. So maybe I will, I, I will be there then. I will be there. Yes. Maybe our paths will cross that day. But anyway, I, I was working on a new blog post that I promised to my my readers. And it's simply loosely called at this point, the demoralization of the church or in the church or the demoralized of the church. And it's a response to the fact that I've gotten just loads and loads of private Facebook messages, emails, text messages to people have my number, you know, saying, you know, what what are we supposed to do? That, that, in other words, these are very, very involved Catholics. Many of them are actually priests. I have a priest friend who has written to me and said, you know, I, are, are the priests of my diocese are having a meeting. I'm not going to say where, you know, what I'm ha having a meeting, you know, next week. This was like two months ago next week. And we're, what we're discussing is why the morale among the priests is so low right now. And right. I think this is pretty common. So I, I decided I, got, I have to write about this. I have to write about this phenomenon uh, that's going on right now in the church of, of the best and most devoted Catholics feeling very demoralized. So I yeah. thought, what better person to actually then before I finish writing this thing to actually discuss the topic would be my friend Kale Zeldin. So, Kale, I'm going to I'm going to the last time you and I uh, had a little interview, I, I, I think I spoke about 85 percent of the time and you about 15 percent of the time. Mm. So and, and some people complained about that. Well, so, well, you know, so yeah. I, I'm going to give you hopefully more of an opportunity to speak. So take it away, Kale. Do you think the church let's just start with this very generic question. Is there a generalized demoralization of the church going on, let's let's limit it right now to say the United States. So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, from from you know my perspective, I, I think it it it's 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 beyond a shadow of a doubt that the demoralization has set in in some some very real ways, and and you know I think you're seeing it bear out, um, you know, with with sort of seminary numbers and and those kinds of things. But I don't even think you really have to think about this strictly in terms of. You know, the official class of churchmen, um, et cetera. I think I think that that people are um, unsure as to what 
what's going on number one but just ultimately and and maybe this is a, a the real crisis of demoralization is why should they even bother and and i think the in, in a weird way to sort of steal a phrase you know it is a um it is a despair uh perhaps that dare not speak its name um especially for those of us who have skin in the game um either as priests or teachers or nuns or brothers or just anybody who works in uh in, within the official you know um, institutional and parainstitutional structures uh, of the church in America I think most people are just like what's going on what 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 is all of this and and the fact that you get um these text messages and emails I think is is extremely telling um you know it's not like you're going out there soliciting like no. hey you know everybody who's in a real bad mood and is getting kind of frustrated <laughs> and and confused yeah. please text me now i mean we could all go on twitter right now and do that kind of blag you could do it on facebook you've got a load of friends on facebook and you can do that and sure it would come out of the woodwork but i'm i'm more interested in 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 those people who have i don't know kind of kept their powder dry does that make sense to you larry oh yeah oh yeah it, it, like I said, like I've said some point in this blog that I'm writing right now, I'm not yeah. talking about I'm not talking about super sensitive, hyper romantics who long for a Catholicism yeah. that, yeah. that never was and are now upset because these are people that would have that were already upset with John Paul and Benedict. And so that that's a much that's kind of a different issue. And as you and I were talking off camera, I don't really want to turn the like the rad trads into a boogeyman here and, and absolutely not and, and you know and i would just like, encourage you know you and, and your audience to 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 even disambiguate the the that 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 neologism right that it's you know we we, we almost it's almost impossible to say trad without rad you know in our current in our current time and that's sort of language of warfare you know, uh, someone who's traditional, and I know you can kind of, you, are you a capital T trad or whatnot? I think the, yeah. the larger thing for me is, you know, that the trads uh, are not the boogeyman here. I think that they are, uh, they can function if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. I think they function as a kind of canary in a cold mine um, that, that, you know, their uh, sensitivity to these kinds of things uh, is 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 useful in some kind of way as a kind of um, you know almost like a a, a signal on a dashboard um, an indicator light you know that uh, you know maybe it has been going off for so for so long uh, so loudly that you kind of have tuned it out but I think that there's a there there um, and you're starting to see it you know when <clears throat> you know when you have people. Um, go after uh, certain people and just sort of drop, you know, oh, these are sort of the American schismatics. And, you know, you're talking about people who um, have devoted their entire lives to the promulgation of the of the gospel, you know, and, and they're just being smeared and dismissed offhand as if they're the schismatics. I think that normal people, I'm not talking about theologians or even somebody like me, a fairly well-read um, layman, um, you know, you know, when you, yeah. when you're, when you're eliciting these kinds of strange reactions, I think most normal people are like, what is even going on right now? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think, you know, and I'm guilty of this, too. We all are who write and, and speak about these ecclesial issues. You engage in these very convenient forms of linguistic shorthand uh, where where you develop these taxonomies of various things. Hang on a second. I need to silence my phone. 
Verizon is informing me of Black Friday deals. Yes. Yes. I just want to brag right now. I'm going to signal my virtue. This, you know, this marks, you know, many, many years of not participating in Black Friday. So I'm a proud non-participant. So anyway, yeah. go ahead. As am I. But anyway, yeah. So we can engage in these uh, and they have their place, these kind of taxonomies where, you know, these typologies where you say, yeah. OK, here are the neocons. Here are the radical cons. Sure. Here, are, here are the paleocons. Here are the trads. Here are the rad yep. trads. Here's the progressives. Here's the uber progressives. Yep. And at some point, you just have to step back and say, maybe these terms don't have a whole lot of meaning anymore. And in, in I think at one time they were helpful, but it, yeah. it's rapidly sort of reaching a point where there is such fluidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, amongst Catholics in terms of what it is they think on this issue. And that, like, I know some pretty conservative Catholics who are just sort of, like you said, just good people, average Catholics, Novus Ordo, going to church, but they're not grabbing, but who suddenly are developing these, what they wouldn't know it, but are developing what, what, you know, maybe a year ago I would have called radical traditionalist points of view and stuff. And, yeah. and, and, and so it, it, these are fluid categories. And so I think we have to be very careful in talking about the, the demoralization of the church to not uh, break these categories down so much, you know, and say, well, yeah. we're, we're more concerned with the demoralization amongst the real Catholics, not the rad trad. And so I think that's kind of silly. Yeah. So, so Larry, I have a question for you then on that score. You know, when, when you, when you messaged me this morning, Hey, let's do this thing. You know, I was thinking about just the word demoralization, you know, and, yeah. and I think that, you know, the way that my ear hears it versus the way that my mind can kind of think through it. And, you know, it's sort of the demoralization, sort of the the unmoralizing of 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 a, of a, a person or a group of a group of people. And it's interesting to me because uh, admittedly, like when I hear the word normally, I just think, oh, someone who's kind of like depressed and fatigued. Like, you know, the or the, you know, yeah, the opposing yeah. team, you know, scored, uh, you know, right before the, the, fir- the end of the first half, demoralizing the team so that, you know, kind of putting a nail in the coffin type thing. But it is interesting that we use that word when you break it down, you know, it has a, a kind of a moral valence to it. So I wonder how you hear that, and especially in this piece that you're working on. I'm glad you brought that up, because I think as we delve into this, it's important to define what we mean by demoralization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean by it here, and I wouldn't even be writing about it or talking about it if I just thought that it represented a kind of mild discontent or discomfort right. or right. some some small little doubts or agitations or anxieties mm-hmm. that people have. What is coming across to me and people that I've been speaking with is a deep existential crisis of faith. That's what I mean by demoralization. Yeah. Uh, you you hinted it at the beginning, Kale, when you said, why should I even bother? What I get is, why should I even care about the church when the Pope himself doesn't seem to really believe in the church anymore, yeah. <laughs> when he's constantly yeah. berating those of us who do believe in the church? Now, whether or not that's true or not, that's not the point. The point is, that's that's how millions of Catholics are now perceiving the situation. Why should which I, I think is huge, go which ahead, I think is huge. Like that, that perception issue is a big deal. Like when I used to work in academic administration, you know, let's say that, you know, that, that a teacher and a student kind of uh, were at, were at cross crosshairs, right? You know, that they, right. something had gone sideways with that relationship. And so as the academic Dean at the time, I would kind of have to wade in and like, all right, you know, and so um, I remember, you know, so the kid sort of thinks what the kid thinks, right? And and you have to deal with that. And and the kid may be a mistaken, the, the, you know, but oftentimes that there's some level of there there, 
you know, in, right, in that relationship. Right. So then you, you know, you tack over to to talk to the teacher. And, you know, <clears throat> so you know, you talk to the teacher and say, well, you know, Johnny, Johnny thinks X. And the teacher's immediate reaction typically, or you know, oftentimes is like, well, that's just not true. And and, and so I and so I, you know, my my first inclination is net, you know, look, we're colleagues, let's work on this together. We've got a a, a relationship that is uh, running um off the rails here. And, you know, you've got to work with this kid for the rest of the year and they've got to be in your class for the rest of you. So let's let's sort of think about this. And I was like, well, well, you know, but but it's not true, Kale. And I'm like, okay, we're fine. It, it it very well may not be true, uh, what what little Johnny is reporting to me and to his mother and whatnot. But 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 what we do have to to so so you don't win any points by winning the truth war, right? Uh, you know, what what you have here, and this is a, a life, this is a real life situation, is you have a, a relationship that is that is broken. And so therefore the the adult thing, you know, so I would always try to sort of um call to the better angels of my of my colleague teacher, be like, look, you know, in your sort of adult perspective and you know uh from right. that perch you know what might you do in order to help us salvage this this relationship now that it does not mean to accept the lie right or or accept the half truth right. but what it what it does mean is that you have a, a duty and a responsibility as an adult to be like okay perhaps there's something you know that 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 I'm not conveying well or that that you know was misinterpreted but let's let's proceed as if I want you to number one understand where I'm coming from but ultimately that I'm the adult I'm the father I'm the mother I need to do something to mend this relationship and and I and I I think of that dynamic you know when when I when I you know uh when when I when I encounter um all the various you know explanations of well, what what Francis is really doing let's say or what this bishop is really doing or what this priest is really doing it's like when you're explaining you're losing right in that kind of old yes. Ronald Reagan way it's like it's like you you're you're not doing the thing because you yes but the truth matters and of course Larry you know look you know me I know you I, I of course we think the truth matters it, it, it's a it's a large uh aspect of what animates us right in everything that we do the truth is yeah. super important yeah. right but it's like there's a almost like and forgive me but there's almost a kind of weird autism that takes over like well the truth is the truth and we just have to right but there's also like you know the human part of the relationship that you have to kind of iron out and so what i i feel um at, at one of the aspects of this demoralization that you're you know clawing at here trying to capture in in your in, in your essay is no doubt um this is a massive element to what is going on and so then we have to ask ourselves as the adults in the room as the, as the expression goes is like what can i do as the adult in the room to fix the relationship yes and, and i just I, don't see a lot of that i think that analogy is really good because i was about to make oh by the way for my listeners too i forgot to mention at the beginning when i introduced kale that he is also done for many years, uh, not so much anymore since it's defunct. He did the General Eclectic podcast with Rod Dreher, which right. is actually how he first came to my attention. So I, I, right. I and I'm assuming that uh, people can still go to those podcasts. Yeah, and not only can they, they, they can still find them. Just type in General Eclectic and there's like, I don't know, like 100, whatever, maybe 75. Yes, episodes. And it's not the General Electric. It's a play on yeah, words. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, the General right. Eclectic. Which I e love. E eclectic, right? Um, but yeah. I, I have actually just rebooted. Um, I just restarted my own podcast, just um, that I'm doing myself, and I'm going to have you on, Larry. So just so oh, you know, uh, yes, I'm doing. Is but it it's the underneath? The, it is. It's called the underneath. It's the same name as my Substack, and so I, I'm going to do. You know. Interesting things, I hope. Uh, you know, my 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 pinky swear to my audience is that I will do my best 
maybe I won't always do this, but I will do my best not to bore you and not to waste your time. So I hope to be fairly wide wide ranging. It'll be about um, cultural matters, story matters, philosophical matters, theological matters, and not just church stuff, and not just you know just kind of a a, a broad oh, yeah. swath. Of, that's of things that's that I why like I love do. you because you know yeah. you, you can talk everything from the Pope to uh, Dante and beyond. So yeah, I, I so. encourage <laughs> all uh, this brief little interlude to our conversation. I encourage all of my. Uh, subscribers, listeners, viewers to one to go see uh, first the Substack, the the underneath, and then the podcast associated with that, which is That's not right. up and running yet, but will be. Right. All right. Now, I was about to say about I was about to make a distinction between two kinds of the demoralized. Right there, there, and, and it seems to me that the kind of demoralization that you were just referring to, say a, a student who misunderstands something a teacher said, and there's all these ruffled feathers, and you have to, you know, go through this whole process of of uh, the teacher trying to clear things up, even if they were in the right and so on. Right. Now, right. So that's a, with regard to Pope Francis or, or, or the or the synod on synodality or the hierarchy in general, whatever. There's a whole bunch of Catholics out there and I hear from them who I would say are 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 simply genuinely confused and they're demoralized because of this confusion, because they really don't know what to think. They don't right. know what's going on. They, they, they're not theologically educated enough or ecclesially educated enough. They're just average Catholics to read between the lines and kind of figure out, connect the dots, as I like to say, here's what's really going on. Here's right. what I should be concerned with. Here's what I'm not should not be. And, and my the blog essay I'm writing is going to deal with some of that. Good. good. There's, but there's a second kind of demoralized. And this would be the demoralization, I think, of, of the Catholic who is theologically educated. And I don't necessarily mean with degrees, theological degrees. I, I mean, people who understand a little bit about Catholic theology. Well, like me, like I don't have like, a degree it, in theology, exactly. but I, I read very deeply and widely with these sort of matters. So yeah, please. Yeah. And then certainly there's a demoralization as well amongst uh, people in my clan, um, yeah, in the yeah. theological guild, yeah. because in some sense, here's the second category of demoralized Catholics, Catholics who do know what's going on. At least we think we do, who yeah. can read between the lines, like my recent article on, on the Pope's Love recent motor I thought that was really good, Larry. I, I did read it. And again, guys, go take a, take a read. I know if you're watching this, you probably have already read it, but I do think Larry gets at something really important that the the plain meaning versus the underneath, uh, which is what my what my work yeah. I think really is my project really is about is is so important. And it and yeah. it's and, 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 and we can and, and I find that people kind of play games with this thing, Larry. Right? Like, well, the words says this, and so you want to be like, well, yeah, good, the words are right. But then you're like, but what's 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 under those words? What's what's between those words? Like, what what's that's really right. going on? Because we have a nagging sense that 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 that's the case, right, Larry? Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, I, and if you go to my blog, I have two articles on the Moda Proprio. One is a shorter one in the National Catholic Register, which I think is decent enough. If you want the short version, read that. Yeah. But the longer and more complete version, which I think is the better version, is the one in Catholic World Report, which is also on my blog. Right. Uh, but uh, so go, go and read those. But the point is this. Oftentimes, you know, there's what we call the Pope splainers that are out there, you know, who are constantly saying, well, if you look at what the Pope said, there's no heresy here. And they're right. And the Pope is just saying this, and they're, they're usually right. And so these kinds of explainers uh, of what they're very good, I think, and I haven't maybe given them enough credit for this. They're very good at helping the demoralization of category number one Catholic, those who are not really 
all that theologically educated, who are sort of garden variety confused, who just want to be reassured, hey, the Pope's not a heretic because (laughs) my next door neighbor says the Pope's a heretic. And my other neighbor who goes to church says the Pope wasn't validly elected and Benedict is still the Pope, or at least was until he died. So so what do I think? What? Okay, these guys, these, you know, the 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 Robert Festiges of the church and so on. And um, God forbid, you know, the Mike Lewis's of the church. They're 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 very good at, at, at Andrew Lacutis. These guys are pretty good at explaining to those kinds of Catholics, I think, that the Pope, you know, talking them off the cliff. Don't worry. The papacy's intact. Pope's not a heretic. But they're not very good, I think, at reading between the lines. And and my point isn't that the Pope's a heretic or it wasn't valid. My point is that he stands for a kind of theology that I think is bad, right? And, and I think there are a lot of theologians and educated Catholics theologically like yourselves who see the kinds of prelates that Pope Francis has empowered, the kind of theology that he seems to favor in the recent moda proprio, the synod on synodality and so on. And you begin to then raise a red flag and say, whoa, 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 Poindexter. And here is then, I think, a very deep demoralization <laughs> yeah. amongst amongst educated Catholics yeah. who really aren't. They don't think the Pope's a heretic. They almost think he's something worse, a non-believer. Wow, and I, uh, I've heard that. No, I've, I've heard people say that. Yeah. So maybe you can comment on that. Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, but the look, my, my, my training in my training is is literary right, primarily. Right. And. And so I'm, my job is to teach kids, um, in addition to, re, you know, writing and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. My job is to teach kids how to read. And, you know, obviously every, every kid in my class can like scan, uh, uh, you know, you know, Jack went up the hill, you know. Uh, Jill decided that she wanted to go home. I, I don't mean reading that way, right? What we're, yeah. what we're talking about is is reading um, for what Chaucer. This is interesting. I just just thinking a lot about this. Um, Chaucer calls the sentence, right? And, and and what he means by the sentence, or in in the Middle English, I think you pronounce it sentence, but our word is sentence, right? Is that what he what 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 he's getting at is that the sentence is the meaning. Right. And and the meaning is kind of buried uh, or covered um, by the words. okay, and and therefore, by extension, the images and by the dialogue and, and by all these sorts of things. And so what is delightful for us when we hear or see a well told, well rendered story is that we see the meaning emerge. Um, almost mystically, but you don't have to go there. But uh, you see the meaning emerge um, that is required. So that re- the meaning emerges that requires you to, as you said, connect the dots. Okay. Yes. And bad movies, we know, are the kind of movies that, you know, and screenwriters will say the dialogue was on the nose, right? Because a dialogue that is on the nose is the stuff that, you know, I am hungry. I am going to walk across the room and grab my drink because I'm also thirsty. I do not like it when you say mean things to me. I'm going to leave the room now. 
you know, period, right? That that's sort of on the nose dialogue, right? And so a good screenwriter um, doesn't even depict that in words, right? We'll just direct the actors um, to do those things, to embody those inner realities. I mean, this is right, ultimately right. what we're getting at with sacramentality, right? If sacraments are an outward sign of an inner reality, stories, a language is an outward sign of an inner reality, right? Okay. So my job is to regularly teach kids, okay, we can all see the screen, think of the book as a screen, right? So we're all looking at the screen. We're looking at the picture. We're looking at the word image. What do we see? What does it mean? Right. And so um, that is why the sort of the literalist school um, is a weird form of neo-modernism or something. I'm not even sure what it is exactly, which is why I get frustrated with all this explaining. You know, the explaining um, is an indicator of a deep, decadence <laughs> maybe a deep sclerosis um yeah. you know uh and so therefore the 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 explaining that goes on is indicative of of something that's real and something off kilter and um so when i take those you know uh, methods if you will of say reading the knight's tale or reading dante's inferno or reading um you know uh moby dick um I am simply taking those kind of skills that I've developed over a lifetime of reading and studying and teaching and just watching and looking and listening and hearing, you know, just, just seeing the scene. And I'm like, well, that's not passing a sniff to, so that looks awfully weird, right? And you start to realize that you, our entire world is framed by narratives. Like we find ourselves right, in a narrative. Right. And so I get really frustrated with the explainers because they they they're trying they're, they're telling me not to believe my lying eyes. They're telling me not to believe my my lying ears. And you know what? Yes. The heck with you on that. I I, I have no time for that because I can't shut this off. I can't yeah, shut I, off and I won't I, shut I, it off. I couldn't agree more. I've grown more and more impatient with them. Uh, which is why I was trying to find some kind of olive branch just now to toss their way. You know what I do? And I look, I I do my best to cultivate those relationships, Larry. I really do. But but sometimes it's just, I can't, you know. I can't either because, you know, you're lying eyes. I'm going to believe my own eyes because uh, the fact of the matter, take, for example, to go back to your analogy with the teachings, at some point, if, if the Pope has created all of this confusion in the church, then isn't his job as Pope to step out and say, oh, wait, wait, no, I've been, you know, who am I to judge on the gay stuff? Well, here, you, I've been misunderstood. Here's what I really meant. Right, or, because Larry, yeah. just on that, on that score real quick, and I'll let you keep going here, but like, yeah. what would you do as a dad? Like, just see, really, like, yeah. what would you do as a dad? If your kid came to you and says, you know, daddy, why X, Y, Z, let's say, you're like, oh, no, 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 son, you know, honey, daughter, you know, it's like, no, that's not what I meant. I, I meant A, B, and C. Right. Yeah. And, and and hopefully the child be like, oh, okay. But I feel like that's my adult responsibility, my 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 parental responsibility to my child. And certainly I feel the same way with my students, but but let's just stick with the child for my own my personal like that's like my job. Like <laughs> like in charity and in love. Yeah. It's my job. Kind of your job, isn't it? You know, as I always I like did. to say, you know, the job of the Pope, his main the main function of the Petrine ministry is to unify the church in disputed matters by clarifying. Right. 
the, currently the confusion and the demoralization is being caused by the fact that we have a pope that muddies the waters, causes confusion, but then, as you correctly point out, does not act as a responsible parent by stepping in and saying, wait, 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 here's actually what I really meant, and I'm being misunderstood, and so on. Uh, yeah. Like you said, we live in these narratives, and I am, I've unfortunately created a false one here, so I'm here to set that straight. No, there's never any of that. And likewise, for example, and this is why the Pope's plainers, as I like to call them, they, they, after a while, this grows old. You know, they were out in force after the Pope said, you know, we can, if a, if a gay couple presents themselves to a priest, as long as a distinction is made between this blessing and, you know, you're not blessing the union and you're, it's not a marriage, then you can go ahead and offer them a blessing. After all, we bless cars and trucks and, and anything in between. Why not bless a human being who steps forward and asks for a blessing? Okay, that all sounds great. And the Pope's plainers are right. The Pope has not uttered a heresy here. And yet everybody and their blind pet hamster knows how that's going to be implemented, how the narrative is going to be spun, what it really says. And immediately after the Pope said that, all over the world, the media says Pope okays blessing gay marriages or gay unions. Okay. And there were already priests, one in Malta who published in his parish bulletin, a priest in Malta. We're going to have Come a blessing. Yeah, a blessing of, of couples, both straight of and gay. Everybody come. We're going to bless these. The Pope says we can now. OK, right. that's the kind of thing that the Pope's plainers refuse to look at. That is causing and let's to get back on topic. That is yeah. causing the demoralization of people who can actually look at these things and we're not confused by it. We can actually see that there's something not good going on here, that yeah. that there is yeah. a privileging of a kind of theological method and theological discourse that we've seen before. It's kind of rooted in a runaway Ronarian concept of that. Everything is always already engraced that radically blurs the yeah. distinctions between the church and the non-church between believers and unbelievers. And do you not see this constantly in Pope Francis, this constant blurring of the lines between, you know, belief and non-belief church and outside of the church. And there's a certain truth to that. Don't be wrong. I'm not a strict observer of extra ecclesiam nullis salus. I don't right. believe most non-Catholics are going to, I'm on record, you know, of being right. a bona fide right. a Vatican II guy, ecumenism, all that stuff. Oh, all the right? nasty stuff. Yeah, go ahead. It's got to be first grounded in revelation in Christ and, 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 mm -hmm. and the centrality of Christ and a Christocentric theology and move out from there. But okay. The Pope seems rather wedded on the, on the other hand, to a kind of humanitarianism. I'm just going to yeah. say it for what it is. A no, kind I of, think that's right. I think that's human. right, Larry. He speaks a lot of Christ. Let's give him his due. I'm not, I'm not saying he is simply Soloviev's antichrist, you know, who, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and, and his tale, you know, talks about, anyway, I don't want to go down that path. He's not that. He's not that. But he's flirting. When you see for, for, in Fratelli Tutti and then the world meeting of, of fraternity or whatever that was last this past summer, and and then Abu Dhabi statements. It just yeah, seems yeah. like he's constantly wanting to blur the. And this, I think, is what is causing some people who are you know, knowledgeable, like priests especially, to step back and say, "Then why should I be a priest? Why should I evangelize? Why should I care about the sacraments? Why should I care about converting people to the Catholic faith when apparently none of this matters?" So yeah. So Larry, from from your theological perspective, and again, I, I think the audience might be aided um uh, and assisted like i mean what does it mean to be moral right i want to get back to this root because i i think you're I, I think the audience would like what does it mean in a theological sense to be moral 
Yeah. Right. Because because then then I think we can start to see the the price tag in the in the immediate and in the long term and in the ultimate the price tag of being demoralized that is like my moral sense or character has been taken away from me so so help, help me out here like what what does it mean to be moral well uh, you can start with something very basic that even non-catholics uh, non-christians even can see which is the universal moral law, which is embedded in us, in our humanity, that we can, you know, we traditionally call natural law. Right. And, and that can lead to sort of broad agreements on some areas of morality. And the problem, though, is that for the Christian, uh, or just even for the average person who's not a Christian, right. there's going to be a tendency, if all you have is natural law, moral thinking, right. there's going to be a tendency to want to almost deify all of our desires. That's because, right. Good, good. Know, and, the, and we live in this, right? We, we, you know, my kids will, will preach that gospel right back to me. I mean, my students, if I don't, you know, check it, they will preach exactly that gospel right back to me. Yes. Right? I want it. Therefore, and, and it the is corollary good. of this is that in any sort of humanitarian ethic rooted in a kind of generalized sense of the natural moral law is going to also downplay the ascetical element in our moral decision is going to downplay the. What do you mean by that? What do you mean well, by it's that? Going to downplay the unpleasantness of moral choosing. That you mean denial. Yeah, that sometimes self. moral choosing involves death to the self. It That's involves right. self denial. It involves uh, sacrificing things that you really, really, really. What, what do I really, really want? Okay, is is, is my, my deepest desires? Well, what we what the moral life is all about is distinguishing amongst desires and placing them so in that's the so good okay so this is so good i frame this because i i really believe that that this is like a kind of basic thing that people need to understand like you know desire is real right we we are desiring beings right yet yeah. uh as as lewis points out i think very simply and brilliantly in mere christianity you know that 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 response or that desire is indicative of something right and and instincts are not enough right? Instincts um, can conflict with one another. Instincts can override one another. And our worst instincts can can uh, uh, squelch uh, my better instincts and, and all those kinds of things. And so the fact that we desire is not um, the the revelation. <laughs> the, the revelation is what, what should I sacrifice and not sacrifice and to what end? Yes. And yeah, as Aquinas said, even when we choose evil, we choose it under some aspect of the good. Aquinas we think says it's good. We, that our will is naturally oriented to the good, and we right. can't we Love can't it. choose evil just for the sake of evil. Because people who think that they're doing that are really choosing evil for the sake of the evil because it's bringing them some pleasure to do so. And right. that so, to, so to put put meat on that bone, sorry to to do this, but it's like if I want to kill somebody, right? I am perceiving that there is a good in that act of killing somebody. Now I can step back from that situation, obviously, and point out that well, maybe killing something or somebody rather is not a good thing, right? But I mean, this is this is the 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 inception of Dostoevsky's crime and punishment, right? The character of yes. Raskolnikov sees this utterly loathsome, stingy, mean old pawnbroker woman and ponders with you know. It would be better that she were dead rather than alive. And so therefore, I am going to do myself and the world good by eliminating this kind of cancerous growth 
on an otherwise good humanity. And so therefore, I'm going to go kill her. And he does. Oh, right. oh, yeah. oh absolutely. And, and so you, you the, the essence of all sin, according to Aquinas, isn't that we're choosing uh, amongst lesser evils. And so, no, you're, you're choosing everything under some aspect of the good. Yeah. But what you're doing is you're, you end up sacrificing very great goods for the sake of a, of a really, really lesser good. So right. I'm, go- I'm going to murder like somebody because I think they're, they're going to be better off, uh, even though I know that it's probably wrong to murder them based on some notion I have in my head of, of them being better up, which is a far lesser good than the good of their life as such. That's right. And That's so, right. but we can be confused about these things. And it, the, the, the great French historian now dead, uh, Alain, I think he's dead, but maybe not, maybe not. Alain, uh, Alain uh, Bazancon, a lot of people haven't heard of him, but he, he's, a, he's a very smart feller. Uh, I'm reading his book called The Falsification of the Good. And oh. And what he talks about, he relies a lot in that. that this is a concept he gets from Soloviev, uh, Vladimir Soloviev, okay. Okay. his notion of the Antichrist, that, that the Antichrist is going to, in a sense, present himself. And Benedict talks about this in chapter two of the first volume of Jesus of Nazareth. Ah, yes, yes. The, the Antichrist is going, and I'm, I'm not saying Pope Francis is the Antichrist. <laughs> let, let, yeah, I'm yeah, just talking, yeah. Okay. The, the Antichrist is going to present himself as a humanitarian. Right. And what's going to be involved here is a gradual falsification of the good. In other words, an inversion of values. What we thought in order to get people to do very great evils, you have to convince them that they're actually doing a very great good. And that involves a, a small incremental but slow and gradual and an eventual process of inverting their hierarchy of goods. Can I, can I jump in? Yeah, so, absolutely. So the opening line of Macbeth, Shakespeare's Macbeth is, Fair is foul and foul is fair. <laughs> ah, okay. yes. So the entire play is takes place under the spell of an inversion of values cast by three witches. Okay. And so what Macbeth, the main character, has done uh, as he has carried out that inversion of value so that killing the king is not only necessary but good because in so doing, he will uh, achieve his um, kingship, right? Macbeth will achieve his kingship of, of Scotland. And so therefore, the play is really about the playing, you know, sort of the playing out, sorry, um, but but the, the working out of, you know, that the implications of, of a human being establishing fair, good, uh, into the um, establishing the foul, the bad, um, as good, fair. Right. So 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 therefore, the the the, the bloody action of yes. that play um, is is a kind of um, imaginative. What if what if we take this idea and flip it on its head? You know what will happen? Right. So we watch what happens and what happens, of course, is Scotland generates into this completely god awful bloody mess, ending <laughs> ultimately with the, the, the reassertion of the true and the good through the uh, elimination of this um, value inverter, otherwise known as King Macbeth and his wife. I think that's I love the fact, you know, that that in the end, there's a kind of restoration yeah. uh, of a, yeah. a proper concept of the true and the good, because that's right. Uh, I, my, and you know, and you know what rests in the middle of that play. God, I just thought about this. What rests in the middle of that play is the is this notion of equivocation, right? So that it is is the man who dare lie like the truth. Okay, so maybe Larry, what we are living through is this sort of 
strange novel interruption of um of the equivocal as the primary mode of being and my goodness what happens if we are getting equivocation from the very heart um of the church right Th oh, this is yes. where i like I, I stay up at night i mean i genuinely stay up at night and of course it's just last little thing here who are the the great equivocators in the elizabethan drama the Jesuits. <laughs> so now I'm going to put the history stuff on a side burner for right now, but I think it's so fascinating that 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 Macbeth <laughs> learns in order to establish Ferris follow and follows Ferris. He has he has to lie like the truth. Man, that yeah. that that, that, that that's so juicy good. right there. Hey, by the way, isn't the Grand Inquisitor in Dostoevsky's tale also a Jesuit? I don't know. I, uh, I don't know that. That's I think he is actually. You know, because because um because um Dostoevsky as a, a Russian Orthodox um were not a fan of the Jesuits. That's not right. Well, they are oftentimes of the. It was certainly the Catholics, but like especially the Jesuits yeah, yeah, and that yeah, whatever that weird 19th century point. idiom. Yeah, I actually like the Jesuits, so let, 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 I want to toss that out there. And that's not just a butt covering statement after trashing the Jesuits. But I'm actually, I'm <laughs> well, Larry, you're going to get no such thing out of me. I'm sorry. Uh, not sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm Jesuit educated. <laughs> and a lot of them are troubled. A lot yes, of them yes. are trouble. A lot of them are not. But anyway, uh, I'm going to come back to the, you know, that ultimately, you know, I, I'm not here preaching doom and gloom. What I'm what I'm trying to get at is the essence of the demoralization that that's kind of taking place here. And I think you've really put your finger on something important here about the, the equivocation that is going on. Um, I like to say, can you tell the audience what equivocation means real quick? You know, equivocation means where the same word can mean two different things. Right. Okay. Deliberately. Uh, Deliberately. deliberately, you're deliberately using a word ambiguously, a word that can be understood in contradictory ways. All right. And one time you might use it this way. Another time you might use this the other way. And you're not you never really clarify which is which. And this is deliberate. It's a deliberate form of obfuscation good, uh, good, to good, equivocate, good. to equivocate, yeah. to equivocate so that you don't have to say yes, yes or no, no. And, and you know, and let and your so, yes mean yes. And, you know, mean no is, of course, the, right. spell, the spell against um, equivocation. So here's here's the deal. I think that I like to say that. What we're, what we're really up against here, and the Pope's planers don't talk about this, and others don't, you know, more right wing, they don't. The, the, the thing is, what we're really dealing with here is a, is a conflicting set of analyses about how to properly read the signs of the times. I mean, Vatican mm. II asked us to read the that, signs that of phrase, the times. That phrase, that phrase, to read the signs of the times. Why do we have to read the sign of the time, right? It's, and what they mean by that phrase, right, it's not like the exit sign over there, you know, right. on the way out of the building. That's not the sign we're talking about, right? right? But even that points to something else. Like the exit sign is not literally the exit. It's pointing to something, right? And yeah. to read the signs of the times is like, what do what do the signs these these signifiers these these things that we can see and hear and taste and touch? What do they ultimately mean? And we're kind of pretending like, no, we don't really have to do that. We don't have to really like read. Exactly. We just have to, we, we, we just we, have to we, obey. <clears throat> and so, and so, yeah. When Vatican II says read the signs of the times, it was assuming we're not going to be reading. You know this way to the toilet signs or that way is the exit signs sorry <laughs> that that kind of thing yeah i mean but i so i agree with you completely oftentimes people mistake it in that direction oh we're just supposed to look out at the culture 
And this is one in other words. So these two different approaches to reading the sides yes. of the time. Huge. Yeah, there, go ahead. There, yeah, there's, there, there's the approach that says, well, there's the exit sign up there. And that's so we got to Let's just follow. So they look at the culture and they just read it very superficially. Well, these are the various opinions that people have today. This is how our cult. This is the direction in which our culture has moved on gay issues or abortion or women's rights yeah, in the church. Or and so th those are the signs. Signs. Okay. Right. Let's just accommodate ourselves. Right. And that, and that is why, you know, people like me, you know, lose my mind when, you know, you keep, you get, keep getting beaten over the head with it, with it, with a word, you know, like listening. Right. Yeah. You know, and of course, and if I have to come out and say like, oh, if I make fun, let's say, like I do of the listening church, right. They're like, oh, Kale, so you don't think it's a good idea for the people of, you know, who run the church to listen. And it's like, seriously, no. like, you, 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 you keep doing this stupid game in which I raise objections to not the word listening, but what the word listening means. Right. And the way that it means, sorry, this is Kale speaking, Larry, you can be your own man, but the way listening means and the way it's being spun with the synodalists, right, is listening means watch what the world does so that you can just simply do what the world does. That's what listening means to them. And I find that utterly offensive, utterly offensive, because otherwise, too. what is the gospel? Like, seriously, like, what is the good news, right? If, if all I have to do is listen to, you know, whatever, the news or TikTok or whatever, then like what, again, that's why I keep going back to the demoralization as what am I even doing this for? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, if I had been a synod member <laughs> and I was granted my 32nd intervention, I would have simply stood up and said, with regard to the word listening, you come, you keep on saying that word. I don't think it means what you think it does. Exactly. It does not mean <laughs> yeah. what you say. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. I don't think it means what you think it does. And and right. that's that, that's the indicative of the two different approaches to reading the signs of the times. And here's the, where the demoralization comes in, where those of us who read the signs of the times and see in it deeply toxic, horrifically anti-Christian De humanly degrading ideologies, lifestyles, moral positions, and, and, and not that everything is horrible and bad and terrible, but deep, deep fissures that we yeah. have to fight against, that the church has to stand up against. And then when John Paul and Benedict were Pope, the church did stand up against these things and did hold the line and did say, and it, so you're a priest and you became a priest under John Paul, you became a priest under Benedict, and you, you really envision yourself, therefore, you read there and say, you read the, the theologians that support them. And so and so you're out there on the front lines and the trenches, and you're really trying to get people to believe in a robust version, Christocentric of the gospel and the need for repentance and conversion and to turn away from the illusions and lies of the modern world. Yeah. That's that's you're reading the signs of the times, I think, properly. Yeah. All right. And, and, and then you turn to the current regime. All right. For better, or for worse, whatever you think of Pope Francis, fine. But whatever it is, the people he has surrounded himself are saying the exact opposite with regard to the signs of the times. And I find they, it remarkable that that goes unremarked on. Like, yeah. it, it, it's like, you know, and look, I come from a world, you know, Larry, where, look, I lived out every day personnel as policy every day of my life as an academic administrator. Right. It just it's just it's one of those truisms that's actually just really true. 
right? And so who you choose to surround yourself, who you choose to hire, who you choose to fire and move on from, that stuff matters so, so much. And the fact that he elevates people who are you like on the record, like this is not you and I like making mountains out of molehills. I mean, you look no. at somebody like... um What's the fellow out there in San Diego, McElroy? McElroy, you know, look at this. Look at the stuff that he's like in print has called for and said. Like this is not someone who gives a rat's behind about the deposit of faith. He just doesn't. I mean, he, you no. know, it, it's merely it's it 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 needs to be moved on from. You know, Cardinal Hol or Cardinal Holderich of Luxembourg, who the Pope what, he, he's the guy running the synod. Is he, that right? He, yeah, the yeah. later general of the synod. He was the guy running the synod, and he gave an interview in which he publicly said. The church's teaching on homosexuality is hopelessly out of date, unscientific, and is wrong and needs to change. I right. mean, he said that publicly right. and on the record right. without any embarrassment or any caveats right. or any nuancing or the teaching is wrong. It should change. And, and this is one of the hot button issues of our time. And the Pope puts him in charge of the synod. And so we're not simply hysterics. We're not simply, well, we're, you guys hate Pope Francis so much. No, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I spent years and years and years defending Pope Francis putting a happy or putting lipstick on that excuse me <laughs> i love it i love it i love it no but the, i think it's right the I mean, it's like, it, a pig of that message anyways yeah, yeah, not, yeah, not exactly. the i have very mixed feelings actually pope francis I, do, I don't hate him at all and i don't think pope francis to come back to the demoralization mm -hmm. i don't think his reading of the signs of the times is as superficial as a McElroy or a holerich i i, Man, I think pope, I, okay i'll have to take you on I, that I, I don't know i don't think pope francis necessarily buys into the religion of, of humanity, a kind of watered down Christianity into being an NGO of the UN, a kind of religion of humanitarianism, uh, you know, as, uh, as the positivists like Auguste Comte or Saint-Simon, that these guys were already calling for, let's have all the Christian virtues about human fraternity, but let's just drop all the Christian gobbledygook. Uh, the, I think there's- Oh yeah, I'm familiar with that. I I, no, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can agree with you on that. I, I mean, well, I'll go with it, baby. I mean, Run with no, it. I just I just don't see an indication. I'm looking I'm looking for some receipts that might run counter to that. I'm sure people can put them in the comments. And but again, you know, like yeah. you could find, you know, a half dozen to a dozen to the twelfth, but you know, to the dozen dozenth power of 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 words that he says in a homily or words that he says in a statement that would be contrary to this. But again, I'm. It's like, in certain respects, we're at a real disadvantage, right? Because you and I are both sort of nerdy bookie types, right? And we look at documents and we read books and, and all these sorts of things, and yeah. and and so therefore, you know, we get hung up on. Uh, scrutinizing the the literal sign and and not paying or we I know we pay attention to it but not somehow being accountable accountable to what the signs indicate and I think that's why I think you have to look at the gestures I think that the gestures are the yeah yeah the lingua uh franca of this papacy and I think the gestures are damning maybe I mean that metaphorically I well, don't know I think the gestures yeah. are the, or 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 um the gestures are confusing ambiguous and demoralizing to keep it yeah, to the theme exactly well i mean you're singing my tune in a sense i mean I, we don't dis yeah. necessarily disagree here it might just be a question of uh wanting me wanting to keep my powder dry just a bit yeah and that's fair uh, and, and i know you're in a different situation than me i'm but, just telling you i'm just trying to see what tell well, you what i, I mean the last time you and i spoke i said the pope's a morally evil man and a liar and so on and yeah. so forth 
Yeah. Uh, and I, I took it on the chin for that, although I don't retract those statements. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think maybe it's better to say what you just said, that he's an equivocator. Uh, uh, but then, as you said in our last conversation, yeah, he equivocates, but does that not involve certain amounts of deception? And, yeah. and, and, and but right. I don't want to, I don't, right. don't want this. My point, my point is simply this. I agree with you that, uh, the Pope's planners love to look at everything the Pope says. And, and I'm going to come back to that in a second with regard to demoralization. Yeah. What the Pope says, I like to focus not on what he says, but on what he does. Because that's where the rubber meets the road. And what he has done is to, in a sense, like you said, empower all of this uh, silliness in the church that was around in the 1960s and 70s. We all thought kind of died down and, and, and now he's re-empowered it. And that's bad. So that leads me then to the to the demoralization aspect, because mm-hmm. and, and it's this. Um, I don't lose any sleep over this pope. Let's just put it that way, because I don't think that he's a false pope. I think he's the real pope. I don't think he's formally taught in a magisterial way heresy. And therefore, I don't think that he is interjecting into the church, this great constitutional crisis, if you want to mix political. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm following the idiom. Go ahead. You know, I, I in other words, I, I don't think and I say this to my listeners, and I'm, I'm not just keeping my powder dry. I don't think that he has compromised the papacy on that level. Friend of mine uh, in Rome, when I was there covering the synod, wise priest, I don't know if he wants me to mention his name, so I won't, but yeah, he's no. a very well-known priest. who said, we have to be careful in our criticism of the Pope simply because, number one, we don't want to push certain people right off the cliff who are demoralized, who yeah. are already convinced that the Pope is a heretic, and therefore I can't believe in the church anymore. If the Pope's a heretic, then all of the church's claims for herself are false. And have been false, and I can no longer believe in it. I need to go Eastern Orthodox or non-belief or whatever. Well, there's uh, loads of energy going that way, Larry. I mean, you know, tons a of lot of people I know going that way. And so this priest says we have to be. Let's 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 try and talk these people off the cliff just a bit, right? Because you know the Pope really hasn't taught formally magisterial heresy. But then he said we have to be careful because we want a papacy still standing once this guy is gone. So we can come in and scorched earth and say he's an anti-pope, he's an antichrist, he's a heretic, he's demonically influenced, he's falsely elected, he's a usurper, you know, everything Archbishop Vigano says about him and so on. But you're going to end up so demolishing people's faith in the papacy as as an ongoing Petrine ministry in the church that it doesn't matter who the next pope is. It could be the, the, the resurrection of Pius X. And it's not going to matter because people are going to say, yeah, but we remember the guy before you and 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 he undermined your authority. So we don't have to listen to you. So well, we have to be, be very careful about this. All that being said, I think that cats uh, that that horse is out of the barn, Larry. Yeah. OK. So, I mean, well, just, okay, again, anecdot- OK, go ahead. Go ahead. Anec- anecdotally, I think that go ahead. I think that that is precisely the kind of um deconstructing of the papacy that is going on and again you can argue that you know that it is it technically correct okay and i and i get where you, i get that and somebody needs to mind that shop uh and and you and your fraternity have to mind that shop right but I remember this years is years ago. I'm, I was literally in high school and I was talking with a friend of mine who um, had decided that uh, that he was no longer Catholic and which was a little bit difficult because his dad was a deacon and and all of that. And anyway, 
But he said, look, Kale, and again, you have to remember, this is like, I was 16, he was 16. So this is pretty low res, but it was, this conversation has stuck with me. And he says, Kale, like, you know, and he was no trad. I mean, he was like a, a kind of a neo new atheist type, right? I mean, like he was, you know, he was not a trad at all, not conservative at all. But he said, Kale, like, honestly, um, I just don't know how I, I can take the church seriously um, because it just decided, like, I don't know, you know, a few clicks back that, you know, you know, that the liturgy could be in English and, you know, that now you can eat meat on Fridays. And anyway, that was sort of his argument. Now, again, 16 years old, take it for what it is. Now, he was a very smart guy. He's no dummy. But what he was doing was he was reading the phenomena. He wasn't reading right. encyclicals. He wasn't reading right. uh, the finer points of theology, which are certainly important, and I recommend that even for the layman. But it is stuck with me because for him, the symbols mattered, the signs mattered, not the not the, not the documents, not the not the, the you know the the sort of the the theology per se. And you know, uh, I could sit him down now, you know, as a fifty-year-old man, and, and, and render some explanations as to why he was mistaken um in in that but i totally get what he's saying and how many how many people are like that do you think i mean i think a many lot. people are like that tons and it kind of gets i'm glad we're having this conversation it's coming towards the yeah. end of our conversation but i wanted to establish all of these other things first that we've been talking about yeah. before we because this is the elephant in the room in the living room okay. right this this is the issue, and I keep hearing it all the time. How can I continue to believe in the church right. when this Pope, regardless of all of your explanations, I get, okay, I get, I get, I get. He's not a formal heretic. He hasn't taught it magisterially. But is he not the cherry on the ice cream of a church mm -hmm. that has gone off the rails now for 60 years? Like you just pointed out, we, we destroyed the liturgy and replaced it with a real cheap alternative. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's how they view it. This is, we're talking about perceptions, and that's the thing. That we, this is always my frustrations. Like, remember, what, what did I start this conversation off with? I've got a teacher and I've got a student, and they're crossways now in this relationship. That's right. Uh-oh. You froze up on me. We're not. The, the problem is that we have a perception problem, and you have to address the perception problem. Right. It's like it's the adult thing. It's the moral thing to do is you have to address yes. the, 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 the misperception. You have to treat it as a phenomena that is unto itself. Yes. Get that. All so right. keep going. Sorry. No, you. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know how it's coming across to others, but you you've kind of frozen up a couple of times on me in, in that conversation. No, we're it's good. Very it's, happy. It's still moving. Oh, I'm I'm very happy that my inter internet is going to be upgraded next week to high speed fiber optic. <laughs> I know I just have a stupid old DSL line out here on the farm. It's really bad. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. no, you're right. You're right. Perception. You you've just you keep nailing this idea, Kale, and it is just so true. Forget the theological pope's planning fineries here. That's going. That is going to I think help some people hang on to. Okay, as I've said to people. We've had bad popes in the history of the church. We have another one right now. We have a bad pope. This too shall pass, and maybe the next pope will be a good one. And you know what? That's really helped some people to put things in perspective. Yeah, yeah, I guess we got spoiled mm. with all those good popes, and now we've got one who's, you know, not a bad man, but yeah, he's all confused, and he's confusing me, so I'm just going to wait him out. Fine. That's helped some people. Mm -hmm. 
but it's not helping those who are deeply wounded by the modern world for starters who see the signs of the times as mm-hmm. we see them uh, trying to raise their children yeah. in this cultural septic tank in which we live this pornified horrible totalitarian technocratic techno pagan bullshit septic tank in which we live and that's what it is and i it makes me angry mm-hmm. that our church mm-hmm. leaders cannot mm-hmm. see john paul saw it benedict saw it francis doesn't see it and that's my chief complaint with Francis isn't that he's a heretic. I don't think he is. He lacks sight. He lacks prophetic insight mm. into the signs. of the, And this is what mm. people are stepping back and saying. I thought the papacy was about guiding us through these dark waters. And now it turns out it's not. And so maybe I just mm. need to find safer havens elsewhere. And, and that's the, that, you know, they changed the liturgy. They got rid of meat on Fridays. Now everybody that can get divorced and remarried and annulments are given out like candy. Uh, the, the, the devotionals are downplayed as superstitions. And our church doesn't even use patents right, at communion right. anymore. And they got rid of the bells. And, and it just seems like everything has become horizontalist, horizontalist, horizontalist. And, and, and so wh- why bother? Yeah, yeah. That's right, the perception, right? right? That, isn't that the perception? I, I really do think that's perception, you know, because if I, if I, you know, I were to line up, let's say, you know, all the kids as they're, as they're walking across the, the graduation tent here at school, right? And, you know, um, I'm not going to play percentages or numbers. It's not my point in this conversation. But, but if I were to ask them as they come off the stage, you know, um, do you consider yourself a, you know, a, a sort of a believing practicing Catholic, right? And I would have a, you know, an assortment, you know, I'd have a number of kids who would say no, and I'd have a number of kids who would say yes, right? And I I could then take the kids who said, no, I don't believe, and I'm not a practicing Catholic. I can just, I can ask them why. And I'm pretty sure they'd all just sort of say, like, it just seems completely irrelevant, right? Right. None of them, in and in, 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 in I do believe that in some sense this is the generational issue you know with with pope francis and his type um and i know it's more than just generational but but his type you know is that they believe that most people don't feel like they're welcome in church um and and the truth of the matter is that most people just think the church is um dumb and stupid and kind of like what what like irrelevant irrelevant. basic but i mean they understand right the basic message even if the even what there's they're calling our bluff they're saying you guys might not believe this anymore but believe it or not this is what the church is about and what the church is about is about redemption from sin resurrection from the dead transformation you know looking towards the horizon of god and so on and so forth that's that's how this whole thing started And well, I don't well, believe that stuff anymore. I right. don't believe in sin. I, I, I right. think there's such thing as moral evil, but it's not something that somebody has to die for. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. on my behalf or something, mm-hmm. I don't believe mm-hmm. in sacraments. So I like to be like my wife. My wife spins. We have sheep. She, she shears the sheep. She spins their wool. She makes mm-hmm. she goes to all these fiber festivals. She and the, she belongs to this fiber guild. And I know that I'm welcome there. I know right, right, right. I'm constantly <laughs> welcome at her fiber guild, but I've never been one. And the reason is I don't give a damn. All that right. stuff bores the heck out of me. All right. And I'm not I'm welcome, but I really don't care. And that's what you're articulating here. I think, uh, Kale, is that 
the church has to the church has to double down on her message more strongly instead of apologizing for it constantly which is what we're we're, we're getting now right and and if i could just one more time sort of take your frame here and maybe push us forward um if 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 the concern you know you know why you, why you why you texted me this morning you know was about the demoralization um uh, effect uh which yeah. maybe is the ultimate francis effect um then the question remains is is we need to place our focus and our attention on the remoralization um of the faithful good, good. and and the remoralization of the faithful seems to me is to give people hope is to give people a sense of strength to give people a sense that the faith is um relevant powerfully powerfully relevant in order to make a life and construct a world that is good enough, not just for you, um, but for your kids and your kids' kids, right? And, and I think that kind of time horizon, um, uh, you know, you talk oftentimes about the, the sort of the horizontal nature of the kind of modernist church, and I think that that's right. And so the antidote to the hor- the, the 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 horizontalization uh, of the church is is the the ver- is to insert uh, or allow or open up to the incursions of the vertical incursions of the divine into this this space right so it becomes a kind of time and space horizon that has to go beyond what is what do we got here Larry you know eighty. 5 90 years of life for most of us because we are fortunate to yep. live in the first world then what right and and so you know the to me the ultimate image or, or an image <clears throat> of this is like you know I look you know I look at something like um I don't know Chart Cathedral right or or Rome yeah. Cathedral or St Peter's or Notre Dame right and you know those, and people in your audience know these stories, right? That these were these um, buildings, um, these sacred spaces were 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 built on a time horizon that none of us in the modern world can understand. Like, what do you mean you're starting to build a building that won't be done until your kids' kids' kids are adults? Like, what? I mean, can you imagine any of us embarking on a kind of building project? It's like, well, I'm not going to be able to, you know, sleep in this building and and my kids are not going to be able to sleep in this building and my kids' kids are not going to be able to sleep in this building, but my kids' kids' kids will. Like, what? I mean, that yeah. kind of time horizon. Yeah. In other words, it points to a kind of... Um, It points to a kind of time horizon that that is exactly what we need in this sort of uh, endless scroll, uh, this endless horizontal scroll through life, right? And 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 to me, I see a church that is only intent really on building, you know, at best, you know, kind of makeshift warehouses um, to house us, and, yeah. and for what, right? And like, for like what? A FEMA, like a FEMA camp, a, a FEMA camp, right? We want the blue church tarps. to. Be- yeah, that's right. The Pope says we want the church to be a field hospital, and yet it looks more like a FEMA camp right now yeah. with yeah. a bunch of blue tarps, temporary housing, because we don't really want anybody to eventually have some kind of a binding address, spiritually that's right. speaking. That's right. You know, that that cuts and digs deeply. And so, glad- so we think about the good news. Just last thing. So we think about like what the good news, right? The good news of the gospel is that there's more to this um, rotting flesh, right, than meets the eye. 
that 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 we are destined, you know, not um, to be uh, food for worms, right? But we are destined for eternal glory um, with God, you know, in the greatest sanctus, sanctus, sanctus um, that is even beyond our imagination. And that moralization starts here, right? That 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 I am practicing, or I am per, I am I am um, preparing myself for real glory real glory not you know uh yeah. something silly or simple you know but real glory and and i and i i think that that remoralization process is absolutely essential and that's why um the demoralization is that you know in the end nothing really matters oh man i think that's that's fantastic analysis and and i'm I'm really glad that I'm, I like this word remoralization, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm glad we're kind of ending with with yeah. this because I wanted to eventually. I didn't want to leave my viewers or listeners with just well, chap thinks we're all demoralized, but so what? <laughs> but the fact is, is I think, and I want to emphasize this. I said this in a podcast I did with Robert Mixa and Andrew Predeprin. I'm actually very hopeful, and mm -hmm. and actually, I think that what we're being presented with right now is an unbelievable uh, opportunity. We're facing a glorious opportunity to to refashion our our packaging, if you will, of the Christian faith. Not mm -hmm. that it's you know I don't mean it that superficially, but to refashion yeah, yeah, yeah. it, and it's like like to say it's in, to in order to rewild Christianity. To mm -hmm. let's make Christianity mm -hmm. weird again. Let's make it different again. Mm -hmm. Let's make it cut and bite. And I don't mean in obnoxious yeah. sort of yeah. contrarian ways, but in in ways that are truly provocative. We said earlier that a lot of people just look at the church and well, I I, I know I'm welcome, but it's so what I'm irrelevant. And yet, what you correctly point out. No, the church can never remain completely irrelevant to people because it's dealing with issues of life, death, afterlife, and so on. And ultimately, everybody wants to know whether or not when I go into the grave and the worms get me, if that's the end of me or not. There is there is a truth to the human nature that uh, with regard to death and last things, the church will always have a voice in that conversation. So what, what let's come back to Pope Francis and the demoralization. To put it in a more positive way, and Edru Edward Penton, the canonist, has sort of hinted mm -hmm. at this in a recent article. Penton you know, says that, well, maybe well, the reason why God is allowing all of this is the church is kind of being purged of something here. Yeah, and I agree completely yeah. with I that. I think that's right. I think there's the a church truth is there. On, I mean, and Rotzinger pointed out in 1968 in his book, you know, Faith in the Future interview, right. the church is going to shrink. We're going to lose people as she loses her bite on culture and relative. And, and, and so in a sense, what we're losing is finding the last death throes of kind of Constantinian Catholic or, or, or bourgeois in its modern iteration, sort of bourgeois yeah. Catholicism, yeah. suburban Catholicism, affluent, mm -hmm. comfortable status quo. What I like to call Cardinal Dolan Catholicism, you know, mm -hmm. the, the Catholicism of the edifice, of the institution, of all that. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. We're always going to have the hierarchical elements of the church and, and her apostolic structure. I'm not saying that we're not going right. to get rid of that, but that can take a billion different forms. And it doesn't necessarily have to take this this moribund form currently has. And therefore, to put Pope Francis in perspective, I view Pope Francis as the kind of like last rattling death gasp of bourgeois status quo Catholicism. But whereas instead of doubling down on old fashioned rules and Tridentine Catholic, mm -hmm. he's simply saying, oh, forget all that. None of that matters. Let's mm -hmm. just all be happy face and happy time and hold hands and accompany and discern and walk together and synodal happiness and joy. This is all just BS. It's, it's, it's a kind of whistling past the graveyard Catholicism yeah. 
that 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 doesn't really want to take it seriously. So what we need out of the ashes, if you will, of this form of Catholicism, when we're hemorrhaging people left and right out of this form of Catholicism, right out of the ashes. And this is the whole something really wonderful and new is going to take place. So to those people out there listening, and I'm going to turn it back over to, 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 to Kale. Mm-hmm. We should not be running with our tail between our legs saying, oh, woe is us. The Pope isn't what I thought the papacy was. No, you know, this is not the end of the papacy. We've had bad Pope before. We're going to have a you know better Pope. Than the people. But stop focusing on the Pope. Who cares? Focus yeah. on Christ. Focus on the saints. Focus on your own sanctification. Focus on the sacraments. Focus on service to your brothers and sisters out there and so forth. Rewild Christianity. Do your thing. Get out there. Do it. And just treat the Pope as that dude in Rome that has a few nice things to say once in a while, but I don't really have to do much with. Okay? Mm-hmm. That he's not the center of my faith. That would be my advice to people. Stop making the Pope the center of our faith, and we won't be knocked off of our faith when the Pope suddenly says some howler of nonsense. Yeah. And, you know, and, and maybe, and maybe there's a sort of a, a strange reverse symmetry, you know, that um, Francis is the first of his name uh, in terms of the papacy, but he's certainly not the first of his name. And and I, I keep going back to um, the radical wildness and strangeness of the first Francis. And, yeah. you know, you know, that, that the, the, the cross of San Damiano, it, it sort of looks out at the crazy, you know, yeah. St. Francis of Assisi before he's called St. Francis. And just simply says, rebuild my church. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I love, you know, and, and, and part of me, I, I, I love how literal um, Francis takes that. So he starts like you know moving rocks around, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and I love that. I, I do. I, yeah. I think that there's you know that that's often that that part of the story is often told like ha ha ha. He like got a mistake, but you know there, there's a, there's a truth to that, right? He wasn't he wasn't like immediately marching to Rome and and telling the Pope what's up. Just started rebuilding a church that had been abandoned and 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 left to decay, and you know that's what I think you know we probably should do. <laughs> you yeah. know is that is that part of the remoralization process is the is is the the attending to um moral edifices or something like that you know that these things are good and, and necessary and they're ultimately relevant not relevant merely because they work i mean they're relevant because they're true um but they also happen to work um and and um demoralized people um create demoralized worlds and so what is the antidote well moralizing people and i don't mean like small scolds right that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about people who have a sense of mission a sense of purpose and a sense of strength and ultimately a sense of courage right and so so you know that that has to be you know if any of this is true right the, yeah. the, the what what has to happen next is courage um to 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 go on and, and I look and I and I'm not a prophet but I I believe that all of us should be on our knees every day praying for courage in this moment um yeah. and I'm and this is not some sort of subtweet of Saint of, of sorry this is not some sort of subtweet of, of Pope Francis but I mean just much bigger terms than Pope Francis I think that we are being um we're going to be challenged in ways uh that we possibly you know, can't maybe even imagine, but courage has to be the thing. Um, because if you have not courage, then what's strength, you know, what's true. Oh, what's I, I think that is so key. 
courage has to be there. I mean, because it's yeah. not just Pope Francis. I mean, those yeah. of us of a certain age realize that the church has been riddled with, no. with, yeah. with this kind of compromising with the world for the past 60 years now, or if not longer. If not longer. Uh, yeah. and, and so it, it's, it's been it's been demoralizing, actually, for a very, very long time, even under the papacies of John Paul and Benedict, like those of us involved in the theological guild, even though there was John Paul and Benedict, we would go to theology conferences and they were completely dominated by, by progressive anti, liberal. Yeah. Anti-JP2, anti-B16. I mean, God, it was just everywhere and it was utterly demoralizing. But you simply had to steel yourself to it and say, okay, the church is not reduced to the papacy. And there are other things in here still worth fighting for and so on. And I get these guys hate the popes, but deep down, here's why they hate the popes, because their Mm -hmm. theology is screwed up. And so I'm just going to help them over, you know. And so I would say to the to the listeners, viewers, if, if your faith has been utterly destroyed by this pope and you've decided I can no longer believe in the church, because this Pope's a heretic and I can't stand it. And I, I'm walking away. I really have not much that I can say to such people. You know, I, 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 you know, if you've made that choice and you've made that decision, more power to you. God bless you. I'll pray for you. But I, I have no arguments or no practical suggestions for you right. that right. are going to talk you back into the church with a bunch of Pope splaining fineries. If, if, if this Pope is so scandalized you that that's what you're going to do. I can't stop. That's My right. words are more intended for the truly, not those who are walking away entirely, but for the just the truly, deeply, deeply demoralized who are undergoing a crisis of faith. Oh, absolutely. That's right. Crisis That's of right. faith. But who know that they're not going to give the faith up and are instead looking for what can I do? What yeah. should we do? What's what's how can I put this in context? And I think that's what we've been trying to do here, Kale. Help yeah. people put this into context. And then I love your message of remoralization. Uh, but anyway, do, do go ahead. No, that's great. I'm I just I, look. I uh, anytime I get the, the 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 call from Larry, the text from Larry, or the message from Larry, like I'm game. So um, this has taken me in a bunch of cool different directions. The things that I'm kind of working on here, but I, yeah, I uh, no, I, I I love I love these conversations, and I hopefully um, your audience finds them helpful. So. Well, thank you very much for being. I think this is a natural place to sort of stop. We've been talking yep. for an hour and uh, hour and 15 minutes. That's about the time. So, th- hey, I want to thank Kale Zeldin for, for coming on again today. Uh, he's becoming a kind of regular, but, you know, and and, and that's a good thing because I, I really enjoy uh, I really enjoy conversation. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Yep. Uh, I've got some more podcasts coming up next week, so stay tuned. So thanks a All lot. Right. Cheers, everybody. God bless.